when uh, Sundra asked me uh, about this and uh, you're doing characters in the Bible, I had no problem to uh, know exactly who I wanted to uh, choose because I love this character. Uh, I love David, uh, King David. He's uh, so real, so raw. And uh, ever since I've been a, a believer and in the church, I always wanted to be as real as I could be. And when I read this guy, I really enjoyed I can't wait to meet him in heaven. And it's going to be true. We're going to meet this man in heaven. But I specifically I want to talk about the life of David, but I want to talk about David's sufferings and how they relate to the sufferings of Christ. And I, I need you to know that prophecy, prophecy, the centerpiece of prophecy is about Jesus Christ in the old being revealed in the new. That's prophecy. And so what I want to do is I want to show you in Revelation 19.10, it says, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That's the heart of prophecy. And so I want to bring out David's sufferings and how they relate to Jesus. Number one, David was scorned by men. Scorned by men. If you have a Bible, if you don't, you can just follow me. In Psalm 69, or if you have one of those things that my children have, you know, okay, you can follow me. 69, 19 to 21. You know how I am scorned, disgraced, and shamed. All my enemies are before you. Scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. And King David was anointed as king, yet they treated him as a fugitive. And he was scorned. The scorn broke his heart. This verse is linked to Jesus. And the reason why it's linked to Jesus, if you look at John chapter 19, prophecy, this is prophecy. John chapter 19, verses 28 to 30. This is what the, John says. Later knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Now, a jar, remember, they gave me vinegar for my thirst. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head. Prophecy. Jesus really understood scorn. I want to go back in Psalm 69 and in verses 7, 8, and 9. All through the whole Old Testament, it's about Jesus Christ. Everything is about Jesus in the Old Testament. When you see Jesus, you worship God. Listen to this in Psalm 69, verses 7 and 8 and 9. For I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. I am a stranger to my brothers. Eh? He was a stranger on earth, Christ, to his own brothers. 
an alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. And you wonder, well, how do you hook that one up? The Apostle Paul hooked it up in Romans chapter 15, verse 3. This is what he said about this passage. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. And he uses Psalm 69, verse 9. That was Jesus Christ. That he took our, we should have been insulted. He was insulted on behalf of us on a cross. That was Jesus. I want to show you what I believe. Scorn, I looked it up in the dictionary. And, and scorn is it's treating someone who's worthless with contempt. And you often think, you know, the son of God, God almighty, perfect man being treated like this. Listen to the way I think the perfect description of scorn in the Bible about Jesus. Mark chapter 15, verses 16 to 20. Let me read it to you. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is in the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, <laughs> then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they, be and they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put on his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. You tell, tell me if that's not scorn. And scorn broke his heart. Christ, none of his bones were broken. Another prophecy. Psalm 34, 20. Not one bone will be broken. They didn't break his bones, but they broke his heart by scorn. He was a perfect man. Broke his heart. The one who is to be worthy to take the scroll in Revelation. Worthy is the lamb to take it. Was treated as a worthless dog. For you and me. The one who is to be worshipped by everyone was scorned by men. As soon as you see Jesus do that for you, it causes something to happen in your heart. Scorned by men. David was scorned by men. Jesus was scorned by men. Secondly, David also was betrayed by men. Prophecy again. Psalm 41, verse 9. Even my close friend, whom I trusted, he who shared my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. David had this happen to him by King Saul, correct? He's sitting at the table. He's eating his bread. King Saul betrayed him, chased him like a criminal. He was the king, still chased him like a criminal. That's a personal thing for David. That's the truth. But this is actually to Jesus Christ. This is prophecy again. John chapter 13, verses 18 to 27. Jesus is speaking. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the scripture. And he quotes Psalm 41, 9. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. 
After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. Scary. And if you've ever felt betrayed, if you've ever felt betrayed in, in ministry after 18 years in ministry, I don't have to go into names or details or anything, but after 18 years starting Rouge Valley Church, it was like I did it wrong. I know I did it wrong because I almost destroyed my whole family. I went in there by myself and with just my wife and my kids. And we started the church and it grew like a hundred people in less than nine months. But fast growth is not good growth. And there were people that came after me, pretended to be my friend, ate with me, and then they took, went against me and betrayed me and almost sent me into a, an emotional... I can't even explain it. I just got on my knees and wept. My wife was really afraid for me. But if you've ever known betrayal, there's nothing like it that hits the human heart. I've never had to go through betrayal with my wife, but I just can't imagine what that would feel like. But if you've ever been betrayed by friends or your spouse or anything for that matter, Jesus understands. Christ can sympathize with you. And if you feel this way today, emotionally, I'm going to deal with, I'm going to ask you to come forward. I've got the oil. I'm going to ask you to come forward if you feel people have scorned you, they betrayed you. If you feel this way, I'm going to ask you to come forward and start the journey of recovery of emotional health to get on the path. Christ can really sympathize. He's the only one who can sympathize when we go through these times. No human being can. I'm coming to, I'm going to be 56, December 4th. I'm realizing no pastor, no wife, no one can sympathize with me. Only Jesus. Are you hearing me? For we do not have, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted, tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If you have a need today at the end of this service, if you want me to pray for you, I've got the oil. I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to believe. It, as my daughter says, Daddy, it's not instantaneous. It's sometimes very progressive. 
and, and in emotions it is. I have to agree with her. Lastly, David suffered by being forsaken by God. And I want to read it to you. You probably know it's quite well. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. David felt, hear me now, David felt forsaken by God. But David was never forsaken by God. You need to understand how powerful the emotions are that can make you think that you're forsaken by God. You feel like you're forsaken by God. But God never forsakes us. Not if we trust Jesus Christ. But listen to this now, everybody. Please listen to this. The powerful thing about the cross is this. And I don't understand the mystery of it. But I know there's a power in it. And it can't be like a trinket. The power is, is that Jesus was actually forsaken. We feel like we're forsaken, like David. Jesus was forsaken. And when he said those words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He actually was. Now the mystery of it is profound. That he could turn away from the Trinity. How, I don't know. And I don't think anybody in this place knows. But the pain of it is tremendous for Christ to be forsaken. And I believe the reason why he said those words is so that you and I would never be forsaken in eternity. We would never have to say those words if you trust Christ. And even if you're going through pain of scorning and betrayal, you'll never have to go through being forsaken. But boy, do you ever feel like forsaken. Let me tell you something. I just want you to know, living as the way I lived my life, the only way I could identify this stuff is the way I live my life. And I don't want you to think Jesus Christ is, the degree of suffering is beyond it. Even King David is beyond it. But I did go through some stuff. And when I lived my life, I lived as a street kid. And I was scorned. I was treated as worthless dog. Those street kids are treated like a worthless dog. They, and I, you know what? I think I, I did deserve it, what I've done in my life. And God has forgiven me. But I was scorned by a lot of people, my parents, my family, everybody. The whole system was scorned me. And I was betrayed. I was betrayed by people who should have loved me, which I realize now. But, but then I never really thought when I came to Christ... In 1984, I thought it was all going to end, and I was going to be completely healed. And little did I know in 1990, May 16th, that that stuff was deep inside of me. The betrayal and the scorn, it was really deep, and it exploded. And I really didn't understand what happened when I was in it. And I understand now, as a pastor, that I kept it all inside, and it had to come out somewhere, and I didn't unload it to God. And it exploded and it set me into a depression. A severe depression for seven years. From 1990, May 16th, I'll never forget it. Crying on the kitchen floor. Weeping. Just weeping. God, why have you forsaken me? Why? What have I done? 
I've changed my life. I'm not a street kid no more. I don't sell drugs. I don't drink. Why are you doing this? Why have you forsaken me? I felt forsaken. The most scariest thing, I think. And you know, here's where it's heavy. Being lost and feeling forsaken is one thing. You deserve it. You feel like you deserve it. But being saved and doing everything right in this church and then feeling forsaken by God is the most horrendous thing you could ever go through. I went through until the Lord spoke to me. And this is what he said to me. And I was ready to take my life. I remember. I was on the 12th floor. And I was on the balcony. And I was ready to jump. I was a Christian for eight years. Everybody thought I was something. And boy, man, was I a mess inside. Are you with me? A mess. And you know, you try and look good on the outside. But inside, you're a mess. And this is the verse that God gave to me. He helped me. He really helped me. I was weeping and he just, this is the only thing that can really get you through it is God's voice when he speaks to you. He spoke to me and this is what he said. And I kept on saying, you don't understand. And this is what he said to me. Matthew 26, 38. Never forgot it. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And all he said to me is, Miles, I know what you're going through. Just stay with me. Just watch. I'll get you out of it. And to this day, am I ever glad I went through it? Because it refined my faith. It put me into a crucible. And I had to stay there. The furnace, what is it? The crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. And in that time, I was right there. And out of it, then God gave me real faith. There are some times in, in my, what, my life now, I need faith. You too. And God does that as a gift when we go through this stuff. He gives us real faith. You can't get faith from Walmart. You get it through suffering. He, he gives you the faith. He gives it. That's a scripture. He gives it to you. And then He puts you into a crucible. And then he, he refines it like fire. And then it becomes genuine. And it's the precious gift you could ever have. Because you know you're talking to the Lord. Are you with me? And when, you're, when I'm ready to go home to be with Jesus, I'm going to say, thank you for doing it because I got real faith. I'm ready. I'm ready. Still a little wobbly on that stuff. But I'm moving into this direction that he's there. My daughter had the same thing go on with her. She was going to be here today. She came here last night. And she's going through depression. She, I asked her, is it okay if I share a little bit more? She said, go for it, Dad. She was so tired. She went white on me. I, I saw it. And as her father, I try and protect her. You okay to come up, sweetie? I don't think so, Dad. I don't think I can do it tonight, today. So, could I say it for you? Can I say what happened to you? Yeah, go for it. I didn't know this, but my daughter is like me. She's exactly like me in the area of evangelist. I don't know if she can be an evangelist, because I don't know if the church will allow her, because she's a woman, right? It's going to be funny. <laughs> but she can speak, I'm telling you. 
She can speak better than I can when she's rocking. Like writing. Eh? Writing? It's powerful. I, I, I notice it. That's not me either. That's my wife. Because I know she's way in there. So you know what she says to me? This is what happened to her. I never knew this. She wanted to be real strong for me. She told me this. Because we're pastor's kid. So she wanted to be real strong inside. They were bullying her all the way through her life. From, high, from the, the public school to high school to everything. Cause she shared her faith. Very out there. And bullied. Finally, the scorn of it all. And then they betrayed her. Friends in school just betrayed her. And you know how ruthless it is on the, on the you know, I don't know how, but it's ruthless. It's just ruthless, she says. And she just, two years ago, exploded. Boom. And she didn't share it. Like I didn't share it. And when she didn't share it, it exploded. Boom. And then about a year ago, she wanted to commit suicide. It floored me. I phoned Sundar, Jam. I was weeping. I said, I don't pray for me. I didn't even know what to say. And the hardest part was is that I went through this kind of depression and I'm watching my daughter go through it. It was so difficult. And she was telling me I was scorned, that I was betrayed, and it spun her because she didn't open up to me or to anybody. Spun her right into depression and it was really heavy. So then she started to open up and she started to get help. As you heard yesterday, antidepressants, counseling. I didn't go on antidepressants because I was a drug dealer with drugs. I was just scared to go back that way. My daughter, she had to do it. I told her, it's okay. And now she's starting to come out because she was able to talk yesterday. And she's starting to, I'm starting to see her come out. I'm so happy. But it's progress. And as she's opening up and go on her blog. Oh, did you? Go on her blog. If you're struggling and you don't want to come up and talk to me, go on her blog. She blogs. She blogs. And this is what she said. This is where I knew she was getting well. She came downstairs four days ago and she said, Dad, I put it on my blog. This is what's happening. Can I read it to you? This is what she said to me. Jeremy Riddle, she starts off in her blog. Too often we baby our pain. We nurse it. We keep it alive and healthy, but pain is not our friend. Pain is a prison. And if we knew how much momentum we follow our choice to pursue wholeness, we would stop enduring our wounded lives and reach for help. Now, this is my daughter. Over a year ago, I bought my first longboard spontaneously. I wanted to learn so badly because I was told I couldn't do it. I was determined to learn and be good at at it. In the first few weeks of learning, I was racing a friend. I was confident that I could beat him, or at least achieve a fast speed to boast about it. Suddenly, my wheel hit a rock and I flew off my board. I skid my knee and my board went flying far, far away from me. My jeans were torn, but my knee was even worse. I couldn't walk on it. The pain, the pain, oh my gosh, the pain was brutal. I didn't break anything, thank you Jesus, but the gash was bad. I couldn't run, dance, walk, kneel, take a shower, or sleep properly without my knee killing me. Forget about longboarding. I couldn't do that either. With a gash like that, you know what I did? I put a band-aid on it. I put ointment and put bandage on it, bandages on it. For a month, I did that, and the pain got worse. My knee was oozing pus. It didn't even start turning into a scab. It was still fresh. 
it still felt it still felt like I like I fell the same day, except a month had gone by. The wound was still there. It didn't even get better. I decided to do something different. I took the bandaid off. I put more polysporin on the wound and then I left it. I left it alone. I left it so it could have air. When the wound was left alone in the air, it began, it be, it began to scab. And that's exactly what happened. I just left it. I left the wound be. I put ointment on it, but I left my wound alone. And in about three weeks, my knee didn't hurt anymore. This is the story. This story has come into my mind as I've been going through a massive healing process this summer. I thought about how much I babied my knee. I put a band-aid on it when really I just needed to be left alone. I just needed it to be left alone. Think about your pain, emotional pain, emotional pain. Every single one of us will experience pain. I truly believe that emotional pain is so much worse than physical pain. Physical pain, we can see results of when we are healing. But emotional pain, it's hard to tell if we are getting better or worse. Can I be honest, brutally honest? Pain is prison. When we are hurt, brokenhearted, or angry, we lock ourselves up in a prison. Pain is addicting. It is easy to go back to our pain when we are alone in our minds. It's easy to go back to our pain when we think about those who have hurt us. It's easy to go back to our pain when we think about our mental health. It's easy to turn right back to pain. But unfortunately, that is how you keep the pain healthy and alive, not left alone to scab and heal. I used to go back to my pain all the time. I babied it, thought about it, cried in it, talked about it. I even wrote about it. But there comes a time when you start to realize that pain isn't a friend. Pain is a prison. Going back to your pain doesn't heal wounds. It only keeps it fresh. Enduring your pain only keeps the pain alive. That's when I decided. This is when I know she's getting well. That's when I decided to pursue help. I decided to start leaving my wound. It's a slow process. I'm not even saying I... I'm not even saying pretend like it's not there. Oh, it's there. It's fully there. You've kept that wound alive for so long. Oh, it will be there. The pain of pain is real, alive, and you've got to make a choice. Keep the pain alive or get the help to turn the wound into a scar. Two years ago, I decided to get help. That's when she was going to commit suicide, and she talked to me. I was preaching, and she said, Daddy, and she was weeping. I'm depressed. I took antidepressants, seek regular counseling and therapy. I go out with beneficial friends that are healthy to be around, who encourage me to cling to Jesus in the midst of the storm. I cry to my friends, and generally, and and I cry to them. It melts the pain away. I open my heart. It melts the pain away. I swim very regularly with my mom, longboard, and I dance to get my juices flowing. I write this blog to help get my thoughts out there and to heal while helping and encouraging others. I go outside. I talk about the pain, but I always end that conversation with how I'm getting better with Jesus. You wouldn't believe it, but the pain gets less and less painful. The wounds become scars, and the scars are reminders of what you went through, but how Jesus helped you. You know what it's like for a father when I'm on my knees praying and I hear this stuff? I'm just, yeah, Jesus is real. I don't have to codepend. As a Christian, I believe that God 
saw that pain and took me through it all. I felt like I was on a boat. I felt like I was on a boat in the midst of a raging storm. And he is the lighthouse. He is the anchor. He is the calm in the storm. He is there in the midst of my pain. And Jesus went through pain. He was betrayed by not only Judas, but Peter too. Jesus loved ones died and he mourned. Jesus went through such excruciating pain, possibly even an anxiety attack, before his death when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he drops of blood. Jesus understands all the pain. Jesus can sympathize. In the end, he went to a cross to die for this whole world and rise again to give hope. A hope that screams, because of him, I am set free from this prison. I'm not saying rush the healing process, but I'm saying it's a choice to dwell in your pain or to be well and turn to the crucified Christ. If you need healing, emotional healing today, and it's been locked up, even a little pockets of darkness, and nobody knows, I'm asking you, as my daughter would ask you, don't dwell on it. Come. Come, I got the oil. I want to anoint you with oil. I want to anoint you with oil, and I want to believe with you. By his wounds, you are healed. I have a benediction. My benediction is that you will believe that by his wounds, you are healed. And if you have anything, please come forward. And uh, I got the oil. Elders are here. They could help me. And I want to believe that by his wounds, you are healed. Go with this benediction. Come forward if you feel led.